that's the thing that, you know, I have endeavored to do over the last two weeks and now the third week in, in this series, Exalting Christ of Christmas. Because I, I'll be honest with you, I've gotten to a point where I just, I don't know, man, I don't want to be a killjoy, but I'm just disgusted at, you know, the over-consumerism, the over-commercialism of, of Christmas. You know, there's, there's two bad things about it. Number one is it is, it is completely atheistic. That's, that's the first bad thing about it. But the second worst thing about it is that it's overly religious, but religious with a traditional aspect. And, and you know, when I, when I was thinking about what am I going to do for the message for Christmas, I said, look, I, I want to go back into the, into the Bible and I want to bring forth, I want to exalt the Christ to Christmas. Because even though December 25th is not Jesus' birthday, so if you're believing that, get that out of your mind. But if we're going to take a day to commemorate the birth of our Savior, then the entire story has to be complete. The glory of Christ's coming is not that we give gifts today, that we get a day off from work, that we put up trees and we, we decorate the house. That's not the glory of Christ. The glory of Christ is so much more. And so, as we went down this path the first week, we looked at the promised Messiah, and we went into the Old Testament, and, and we went through some of the prophecies of the promised Messiah. And you recall Isaiah 7, 14, For a virgin, for the Lord himself shall give you a sign, a virgin shall conceive and bear child. And his name shall be called Emmanuel, right? Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a son is born, unto us a child is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And I called your attention to look at those words. Look at those words. The Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, Titles of deity. Last week we took a look at we took a look at the promised Savior who was to come. And I said the promised Savior that was to come came very specifically to solve the great dilemma. What is the great dilemma? How could God be both the just and the justifier of those that are guilty? How can a righteous God who cannot look upon sin, who cannot tolerate sin, justify sinful human beings? You heard in the opening video by John MacArthur, it was necessitated that God had to send His Son to become a sacrifice, to become an atonement for sin in order to satisfy the justice of God. And I shared with you when we looked at the promised Savior, I shared with you this, that everything Christ did, He did willingly. So in eternity past, when it was devised that Christ should become that perfect sacrifice, Christ undertook that taking, not begrudgingly, not unwillingly, not hesitantly, but willingly to the Father saying, yes, 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 Father, I will do it. 
There is such glory in grace. There's such magnificence in grace. It's only God who would devise a way that the innocent would pay for the guilty. That's not in the human mind. That's not something that you see. It's God who said, I will take the innocent and have them paid for the guilty. And so we look at this and we saw the, the promise of the Savior that was to come. Today, we're going to conclude this series by speaking of the promised king that is to come. And the promised king, he's the embodiment of the promised Messiah and the promised Savior. And as we shall see today, he's not coming as a lonely babe in a manger. He's not coming as a beaten and bruised accused criminal. He's not coming from some obscure village. He's not going to be some anonymous carpenter or builder. He is not somebody that just had clever words. He wasn't somebody that could just move a crowd. He was not just somebody that had some good teaching. He's not a man that any man should be measured to. This one is coming as the ruling, reigning judge of all creation. And he will come with glorious authority, in marvelous splendor, in majesty. And he will come to vanquish once and for all sin, evil, and evildoers. He will come to establish his throne. And this is the most thrilling thing of all. He will come to take the title deed of the earth. It's mine. The prince of the power of this air, the king of this cosmos, this world system, will be torn down, will be trampled upon, will be shamed before all creation. As Christ takes the title deed of the earth and establishes justice, righteousness, holiness, and godliness on earth. Today we're going to look at a couple of prophecies in the scriptures that talk to this promised king. Three of them will be found in the Old Testament, one will be in the New Testament. We will look at Jeremiah 23, verses 4 through 6, Psalm 45, 6, Micah 5, 2 to 4, and Revelations 19, 11 through 16. As we look at them, I call your attention to the marvelous work of the Savior. And I'm going to ask you to contrast that in your mind with the way Christ is being portrayed at Christmas today. So open your Bibles to Jeremiah 23. I wish I had time to do all the prophecies that spoke of Christ. But we don't. Jeremiah, written approximately 600 years before the birth of Christ, Jeremiah 23, I should turn there too. 
Jeremiah 23 verses 5 and 6 read as follows. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I shall raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely, and do justice and righteousness in the land. And in his days Judah will be saved, Israel will dwell securely, and this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. Here we see this promised king is contrasted against the evil shepherds who had shepherded Israel prior to this king. Jeremiah talks about them in verses 1, 2, 11, and 14. But in verse 5 he says, Behold, the days are coming. Here is the prophecy of the great king that's going to come. He says, we, when I shall raise up for David a righteous branch. Now, it's important that you understand the mention of David is the lineage of David. Right? It was prophesied that this great king will come through the house of David. He will be a direct descendant of David. He was going to be of the root of Jesse that he was going to come. So here he's establishing that this is a kingly person that's coming through, the prophecy is. He goes on to say that it is also a branch. Now a branch there is a sprout. And it's usually representative of something that grows in between, right? It's not a full-blown in a, in a full field, but you'll see it in New York City or any city that you are. Sometimes you'll see something coming up through the concrete. It's a shoot coming from, of the line of David, of the kingly line. In verse 6, I love this. And notice what this king is going to do. He will reign as king. There it is. The promise of the king. He will reign as king and he will act wisely. Look at verse 6. In his days, Judah will be saved. Israel will dwell securely. Now, this is the point that really gets my juices flowing. And this is his name. Which he will be called. The Lord our righteousness. This is the title of that king that's going to come. He's not going to come and be King Charles IV or King Charles V or James I. His title, his very essence, is that he is our Lord and he is our righteousness. Move over a little bit to Jeremiah 33. This, this, this prophecy links perfectly with Isaiah 7.14 and Isaiah 9.6. But go over to Jeremiah 33. It is reiterated here in Jeremiah 33, verses 14 through 16. Hear the words of the prophet. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good word which I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. This might be worth, but I just want to pause here. It's very important that you understand that in the day of Jeremiah, Israel was apostate. What does that mean? They had ungodly priests, they had ungodly prophets, 
and they had moved away from the true worship of God. Jeremiah was raised up as a prophet to witness back to Judah. And his message was this, repent, 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 repent. And what did he get for that? Several assassination attempts, beaten, he was thrown into a cistern there to rot and die. Throughout his entire ministry, you know how many converts he had? One, and that could be debated whether that was really one. He preached to a people who didn't want to hear it. He preached to a people that said, shut up, enough with this stuff. Really important that you get that. He prophesied judgment against what God was going to do with this rebellious and stubborn people. And he preached for years, saw the devastation of Jerusalem as the Babylonians came in and vanquished the place. Cried, the book of Lamentations is his crying out for what he's seeing of the judgment that has befallen the people. Not much different than today, I would say. Look what he says here. Jeremiah 33, verses 14 through 16. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good word which I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days, at that time, I will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth, and he shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. And in those days Judah shall be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell in safety. And this is the name by which she shall be called. The Lord is our righteousness. And in case you're worried about the she is Judah, not God. The Lord our righteousness. Oh, that baby in the manger. The one that gets testified. All the ones that you see sleeping on the pile of hay with a little lamb and a little cow and a little camel there. And then the wise men coming, right? And the shepherds kneeling down and bringing gifts. That little baby is our Lord, our righteousness. He is a king. That the Apostle Paul says that every knee will bow down, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Go over to Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5. This is a prophecy that's usually said at Christmas time. People like talking about it a lot. Micah chapter 5. Beginning with verse 2. But as for you, Bethlehem of Ephratah, too little among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. His going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore he will give them up until time when she who is in labor has borne a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. And he will arise and shepherd his flock in strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain. Because at that time he will be great 
to the ends of the earth. And this one will be our peace. Notice a few things. This is about 700 years before the birth of Christ, another contemporary of Isaiah. He says, out of you will come a ruler. Out of Bethlehem. Bethlehem known as what? The city of who? The city of bread. Also the city of some famous, famous previous king. Who? David. Out of the city of David. Remember when the angels? Hey, born to you this day in the city of David is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And out of this little obscure town comes one that the prophet said will be a ruler of the tribe of Israel. Ruler is kingly. Ruler is majesty. Ruler is one with authority. One that is in charge. Notice what else? Notice the characteristics of this ruler. He will come from an insignificant village of Bethlehem. And by the way, Bethlehem really was insignificant. A very insignificant town. Right? Notice a few other things. He is from eternity. Look what he says here in verse 3. From you one will go forth and me a ruler whose going forth are from long ago. From the days of eternity. This isn't an ordinary man. Every man and woman has a birth date and has a death date. Usually with a little dash in between. So you can't say that he's from eternity. This ruler is from eternity. Notice what else he says. That he will shepherd his flock. Look at verse 4. He will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. What did Jesus say? I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Right? So we see that this one is going to be a great shepherder of this flight. And notice what else. He will rule and reign, but he will rule and reign in the name of the Lord. In the name of Yahweh. In the name of the one true God. He will rule and he will reign. And notice that he will be great to the ends of the earth. He says, because at that time, uh, verse 4, he will be great to the ends of the earth. And I like verse 5. And this one will be our peace. What did the prophet Isaiah say? For a child has been born unto us. A son is given. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. The the what? The what? The Prince of Peace. This one will be our peace. 
This king is going to be different than every other king. This king is going to be different than Solomon. This king is going to be different than David. This king is going to be different than Ahaz. This king is going to be different than every other king because this king himself will be our peace. In Luke chapter 2, what did the angels tell the shepherd? He said, a Savior is born, a Son is given. I got my verses mixed up. He said, born to you this day in the city of David, who is a Savior, Christ the Lord. It goes on to say, for suddenly there appeared with the multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying what? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Goodwill toward men. I think it's I think it's Ralph Waldo Emerson. I think it's him who wrote the poem "I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day." You know that song? I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Right. In there, he says, as he's listening to the bells and he's listening to Christmas, he says they start mocking because he says there is no peace on earth. But here's something. It never said that he was going to bring peace on earth. Yes, at the millennial coming of Christ, he will bring peace on earth. But for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, peace on earth begins the moment that you're saved. The enmity with God, the striving against God has been done away with. Paul says in in, in Romans chapter 5, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. It means the enmity is done over. If you are in Christ, you're no longer at war with God. But if you are not in Christ, you are at war with God. And that's why we preach the gospel. We preach the gospel so that every man, every woman would come to the place where they realize that they too can have peace with God. Their enmity, their striving against them, their rebelliousness, their unwillingness to submit to the one true living king can be over with as they can experience peace with God. Matthew chapter 2. Verses 1 through 6. Matthew chapter 2 confirms this very scripture. Take a look at Matthew 2. Verses 1 through 6. It says, and now this commandment is for you. I'm sorry. Oh, man. And I'm wearing glasses. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled, and all in Jerusalem with him, and gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them, where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
Isn't that amazing? Where is the one who's going to be born king of the Jews? And they go to Micah 5.2. Prophesied about Christ 700 years before. And by no means was this intended to be just an ordinary person. This was intended to be a king, a ruler. And yet at his first coming when we saw him, we don't see him in regal splendor. We don't see him being treated as a king. He's born in, in some kind of guest house and comes some kind of stable among the animals and everything else. And even as he lives, as he grows up in Nazareth, if you thought Bethlehem was a one-horse town, that would make uh, Nazareth, uh, you know, even worse. And for 30 years of his life, his life is obscure. There's not much known about him. Even when he does gain prominence among the people, he's condemned as a criminal. He's hated. He's betrayed by friends. Doesn't sound like a very potent and powerful king, does it? Remember Pilate? Pilate asked the question of Jesus in John 18, 33, 6. You don't have to turn there. He says this, Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said, Are you king of the Jews? Jesus answered, are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered and said, Am I a Jew? I am. Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you to me. What have you done? Isn't this something? Do you realize that Christ is going to stand in judgment of Pilate? Do you hear this dialogue? I, I feel sorry for Pilate because he didn't know who he was speaking to. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate said, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say correctly, then I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I've come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Jesus himself affirmed that he was a king. And if it ended there, we would all be mocking. We would all be laughing. We would always think, what kind of clown was he? What kind of king? He got crucified by a bunch of old religious leaders. But praise God, it doesn't end there. Turn in your Bibles to Revelations chapter 11. Revelations, I'm sorry, Revelations 19 beginning with verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse, and he who sat upon it called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. And his eyes are a flame of fire, and upon his head are many diadems. And he has a name written upon him which no one knows except himself. 
and he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that he might smite the nations, that he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The promise of this king is still yet to come. Although he came at his first advent, he came to make atonement. But when he comes at his second advent, when he comes at the second coming, there is no atonement to be made. He comes now to bring justice. He comes now to make restitution for God the Father. He comes now in glory. He comes now in power. He comes now in might. He comes now in majesty. He comes now to fulfill the ultimate prophecy to show everyone that his word is true. I love this passage. Notice a few things. Verse 11. He says, "I I saw him seated on a white horse. And the white horse is rather significant because the white horse in the Roman culture, whenever a Roman general would come and take a territory. The first thing he would do is parade his prisoners before him and he would parade the booty and then the general would come riding on a white horse. Here in Revelation is that he comes riding that he is spotless. And who sat upon it is called faithful and true. We have this certain word. We have this certain gospel. We have this certain truth. And it is faithful and true. And although the world may mock, and though the world may laugh, and though the world may not comprehend it, we have this truth that is the word of God. Notice what else. Verse 12, His eyes are a flame of fire. That's great. Piercing, penetrating eyes. Now when he comes this time, what's left on earth? I'm going to tell you what's left on earth. Unbelievers. That's what's left on earth. People who have refused to come to Christ. People who have refused to bow the knee to Christ. And now he comes. And he comes to judge. And he's pulling no punches. And there is no grace. And there is no mercy now. Now he comes to vanquish sin, evil, and the evil one once and for all. His eyes are a flame of fire. Upon his head are many diadems and many, many crowns. You know what that shows? That shows that Christ has taken full authority of every ruler of every time. Full authority is now given to Christ. The Father is saying, no more kings, no more queens. No more presidents, no more despots, no more dictators. The one that has true authority now is here and he comes and on his head are many crowns and many diadems. 
And I love this. And he has a name written upon him which no one knows except himself. And I've seen commentators say, you know what that name is? And I'm going, but the word of God says nobody knows it except Christ. So what are you trying to figure it out? I mean, it's pretty plain. It's pretty clear. Verse 13, he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. I want you to see it. I know it's freezing in the air, but don't miss this. We could have done church outside and been warmer. But I don't want you to miss this. He comes in a robe dipped in blood. Now, is that Christ's blood that he shed for the church, that he shed for the believers? Listen, that robe is dipped in blood because he's vanquishing evil. He's vanquishing the enemy. And I love this. And his name is called the Word of God. You know what that is? The Lagos. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And John's the only writer in Scripture who uses that term. But his name is called the Word of God. Verse 14, this is where some of us come in. And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on a white horse. But I'm going to tell you something. If you're saved, you're going to be in that crowd. If you're saved, you're going to be riding on a white horse. If you're saved, you're going to be dressed in fine linens. You're going to be there with the Lord. But you notice something that the armies don't have. They don't have weapons. It's like a ride-along. We're getting a ride along and we're watching the Lord of all, the King of Kings, slay once and for all, all evil. Now I don't know about you, but I'm going to push my way to the front of that army and I'm going to be saying, go get them Lord, get them, get them. I remember having a conversation with my mother-in-law many years ago. And I said, man, I, I really wish that when, when the Lord comes and we come back with the Lord, I really wish that the Lord would give me the privilege to like throw Satan in the pit. And I think about everything that he has done in my life, every destructive act, every temptation, every sin, how I succumbed to his subtleties, how I succumbed to his sin, how I was so lost in my sin and my depravity unless Christ opened my eyes. And I praise God that he did open my eyes. And when he opened my eyes, I saw exactly how bad of a sinner I really was. So I cried for him for mercy, but I make no bones about this. I hate the devil. I mean, I hate him. I want to be there on that day. Amen. And I'm going to be there on that day. And as he slays the beast, and as he slays the false prophet, and as he slays the Antichrist, and he takes Satan, and he bounds him in the pit... Man, oh man, you're going to see me jumping and yelling, hallelujah, praise God. Right? I'm going to have a resurrected body so I could actually jump without any pain. Right? 
Praise God. Hallelujah. The Bible says the accuser of the brethren, the one that stood before the throne of God and said, you can't trust Janet. Janet's no good. And Larry is this. And the one who stands before God and accuses us time and time again, who prays in your ear and reminds you of your sins that you did when you were lost and says there's no forgiveness for you. The accuser of the brethren has been cast down by this coming king. I get a little excited. From his mouth, verse 15, comes a sharp sword so that he might smite the nations. I told you at this time what's left. What's left are unbelievers. People who have refused. And now they're hardened in their heart. They hate God. The book of Revelation tells us they cry to the mountains, fall on us. They seek death. They cannot find it. But they curse the Lamb who sits upon the throne. And now, oh, now, this is not no baby in a manger. This isn't Jesus from the King of Kings films that walk around and bless you, bless you. Now he comes and he smites the nations. He brings justice. And he rules them with a rod of iron. Notice what he does is he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God. You know when we talk about salvation, I said you have seen the wrath of God poured out. You've seen it on Calvary as the wrath of God was poured out against his only son. And that was done for atonement of sin. Now those who have no atonement, they have no sacrifice, who sit in their rebellion, now deal with the wrath of God. And verse 16, praise God. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I love that Handel's Messiah Hallelujah Chorus. King of kings forever and ever. Hallelujah. Now this, this, this Jesus comes back with full regal authority to snatch the title deed back. This is what Christmas is about. This is the reason he had to come. So that all who would put their faith and trust in Christ would redeem creation once and for all. And make no mistake, this king is coming. And I personally believe he's coming soon. To judge the nations, to bring righteousness. Listen, he's going to fulfill scripture to every jot and tittle. He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. You know, the thing about the sheep, they con people today. The, the goats con people today to make them think that they're sheep. But in that moment, as you stand before the one with the eyes of fire, there is going to be no conning anymore. And all the world will know who he is. And all the world will know that everything written in Scripture is true. So let us on this Christmas 
affirm who he is. Let us not see that meek baby in a manger. But let our hearts be kindled warm by who this Christ really is. So who is he? Who is he? I'll tell you who he is. He's our only mediator between God and man. He is the sun that enlightens, the physician that heals, the wall of fire that defends. The friend that comforts, the pearl that enriches, the ark that supports, and the rock to sustain under the heaviest pressures. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high. He is better than angels, better than Moses, better than Aaron, better than Joshua, better than Melchizedek, better than all the prophets, greater than Satan and stronger than death. He has no beginning or no end. He is the spotless Lamb of God. He is our peace. He is our hope. He is our life. He is the living and true way. He is the strength of Israel. He is the root of the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. He is faithful and true. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the captain of our salvation. He is the champion. He is the elect one. He is the apostle and priest of our confession and faith. And he is the righteous servant. He is the Lord of hosts the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of all the earth, the Man of Sorrows. He is the Light. He is the Son of Man. He is the Vine. He is the Bread of Life. He is the Door. He is Lord. He is Prophet, Priest, and King. He is our Sabbath rest. He is our Righteousness. He is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He is the Chief Shepherd. He is our our Lord God of hosts. He is the Lord of the nations. He is the Lion of Judah, the living word, the rock of salvation, the eternal spirit. He is the ancient of days, creator and comforter, Messiah. Amen. And he is the great I am. God. This is the Christ of Christmas. Worthy of all praise. Let us exalt the Christ of Christmas. Let every heart adore Him, the only King of kings and Lord of lords. Merry Christmas. Amen. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father, we come to You today. And such awesomeness is too much for us to take. But oh God, kindle our hearts on fire, Lord, for the glory of your name. May you be exalted. May you be lifted up. Oh God, Lord, let Santa Claus wait. Let every gift wait, Lord God. Let every friend and family wait. Lord, lest we come to that place for Father, we see you high, exalted, lifted up, magnified, glorified, Lord God. And praise forever. And Lord, if there be any here that don't know you, that today would be the day. Today they would not harden their hearts. But they would turn to you and say, I never knew Christ like that before. Be magnified, O God. Be glorified, O God. Be exalted, O God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. God bless.